0: So uh, scripture passage today is from Esther 2. We're actually going to reread a verse that we read last week and then skipping down to um, verse 19 in chapter 2 and then we'll read the first verse of uh, chapter 3. And we're going to do something uh, during the prayer time that is a a spiritual practice that I want to lead you in that may be a little bit different than what you're used to. Um, but it'll relate to the passage and, and the sermon. And so, this is God's word to you today. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people or as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithyn and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus or Xerxes, And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai when the affair was investigated and found to be so, and the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, after these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. Okay, you may look up. Um, here's what we'll do during the time of uh, prayer. We're going to sit in a moment of silence. And during that time, I want you to do something very specific. And just, just go with me for a moment. Um, I want you to imagine your life uh, as a kingdom. And you sit on the throne of your kingdom. We did a little bit of this back in Ruth 2 when we thought about who's in our field and who we could serve in our field. Now I want you to think about who is in your kingdom, the faces that are in your life, what those faces look like, maybe the proximity that uh, you are to them, maybe your engagement or lack of engagement with the people in your life. But I do want you to think about your world right now as the domain that you are ruling over, and how God might want you to rule and have dominion. Okay, so we're going to spend some moments in silence, and uh, I'll lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we bring to mind the people in our lives or the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves, um, the faces of the people that that we love, the faces of the people that we may have conflict with, the faces of the people that seem distant, or maybe people that uh, aren't in our life anymore that we wish were. Lord, this is the context and the circumstance that you have placed us in in this time of our existence. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us what, what our role is in the midst of our sphere of influence. And as we look at this story and as we consider Mordecai and his life and the people in his life, Uh, We do ask that you would give us clarity on what was going on in the text, but Lord, also show us that this is a portrayal of what you were doing in the person of Jesus Christ and also what you were doing to make earth look like heaven. And Lord, that's what you've asked us to pray, that your kingdom would come and bring heaven to earth through your images And so, Lord, we find ourselves now wanting to hear from you. We find ourselves wanting to serve you and with all the mixture of motivations, with all the mixture of relationships that we have in our hearts and in our lives. And so would you speak by the Holy Spirit now by your word in Christ's name? Amen. So again, bring those people to mind that are in your uh, sphere of influence, that are in your domain for our particular passage. Mordecai's domain was the Persian Empire. It was a a pagan empire, and he believes that he can engage that empire through God's providence, because God is in control, God is sovereign over all that happens, and therefore, he can engage with that belief. And he's specifically being governed in the belief that God is very thorough in his promises, and he makes good on his promises. And he's very thorough in how he brings about justice. God doesn't forget his promises, and he doesn't forget the enemies of his people. And if you believe that, if you actually believe that today in your own life, It really does change the posture in which you engage the world or in which you engage other people, specifically people that you may have conflict with. That God will always be good on his promises. That what he promises will come to pass and that he will eventually bring about justice. And if you just think that through for a moment, if you did believe that God will eventually put things back to rights, totally and completely, then you do not have to obsess over conflict or dismiss it. But you can engage it and, and ask the question, how might God be, be wanting to use me in order to accomplish that plan of restoration, that plan of healing in my relationships or in the place that I find myself in? For Mordecai, if you think about his field of influence, right? Uh, Mordecai has Esther, who was essentially his daughter, in his field. He's got Xerxes. He's got these two eunuchs who are trying to kill Xerxes, assassinate him. He's got the people, his own people, the Jews, and then he's got the Persians. Now, those are the people in Mordecai's world right now. The relationships, the challenges of that, and the conflict. And through Mordecai's belief in God's promises and justice, what he's doing is something that is very, very interesting. He is reflecting what God is like wherever He goes. Now, I do do want us to kind of drill down here. The Scriptures teach that a human being is encoded in in the deepest part of who we are, that we are encoded to reflect God. That we are His likeness. That, That alone is pretty remarkable, that you are God's likeness, wherever you go. And what Mordecai is doing is that he is engaging his world, believing that God is working through him. To rule and have dominion and to fill and multiply was what Genesis said a human being is supposed to do. And what we're supposed to do in that is that we're supposed to bring blessing and the goodness of God's character within our very being. Now, some of, you, some of you may question that, that you are God's image, that you are uh, meant to reflect His beauty and His glory, and that we are created to steward that image for the blessing of others. And if you question that, I want you to think about the things in your life that have hurt you most deeply. What are the things that have caused you the most pain? And my guess is, is that it's relationships. It's the relationships that have not reflected well what God is like. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say you had a parent and that parent told you you weren't weren't good at anything. Or they, they neglected you, they didn't want you around. Or you had a sibling or a close friend that like made fun of the way that your body looked are made fun of the way that you said words. Now, the reason why that sort of thing can stick with you deep into adulthood is because those primary reflections of God, those primary relationships were meant to steward you, were meant to make you feel safe and not neglected. And when those relationships are used for harm and neglect and tearing down, it can cause a lot of damage because we have the power of the image of God in us. Y'all, that means that everybody we interact with, everybody we engage with, we have a lot of power and they have a lot of power over us because of the image that we are. Now, this is what I think Mordecai is piecing together in his life, in our passage. This This is why he has the wisdom to engage in the pagan empire, that is, the Persian kingdom. He's a person that believes... That God is good on his promises and that he will bring justice and that dramatically affects how he engages with everybody. And before we focus on what to do, God is calling you to believe that about yourself. That he reflects himself through you. And you, and you might be like, "Ah, oh, come on, like the God of the universe reflects himself through me. yes. Are you, are you open to that? Are you open to being a mirror of God wherever you go? Could you believe that about yourself? Um, this is why our mission statement here at this Church of Redeemer is that God is, is changing you. He's molding you into his, into his image And that's what we focus on first, and what we do flows out of that. That God's first and foremost mission is to unite you to, to his son. And as we'll see in Mordecai and Esther, there will come a time when action of the most intense kind is called for. But the first initial thing is to believe in God's providence, and we are simply getting in on the story that God has been telling all along. Now, where might that be found in the actual passage, in, in the pages that we just read? Well, it, it's everywhere. Um, the, the first layer is seen in the way in which Mordecai and Haman are described in their lineage. So look back at the text. Way back in uh, Israelite history, the Israelites were coming out of slavery in Egypt. And they were very exhausted. You can read about this in Exodus and also Deuteronomy 25. They were very exhausted and hungry. And these people, called the Amalekites, came and attacked them when they were down and out of food and energy. And what God did in that, in that time, he said, I promise throughout the generations to punish the Amalekites for what they did. To punish them. And so several years, several hundred years later, when Israel comes into their monarchy, King Saul, who was a son of Kish, a Benjaminite, was told by God to destroy the Amalekites, and specifically the king Agag. And I don't know if you remember this, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't pluck them out of the world. And he kept them alive and kept some of the spoil from himself, And that's why God removed Saul from his royal position. Now, every Jewish person, when they saw this lineage, when they saw that Mordecai was a son of Kish and that Haman was from the line of Agag, you know what they would have thought? God doesn't forget his promises from like 900 years ago. And he doesn't forget his people's enemies. Now, just think about that. Just think about that in your own life. That God God has made promises to you. To bring you joy. To bring you into the fullness of the promise that he's given you to give you eternal life. Do you feel that right now? God has made promises to put everything in the world back to the way that it's supposed to be. And that means your broken relationships, whether it's in your family, your nuclear family, your extended family, or in community that God will mend everything and that he will correct everything far, far greater than you could correct it right now through his justice. If you believe that, that would bring great comfort and great courage to how you engage with other people, wouldn't it? So Mordecai, there he is in this pagan kingdom What does he hear in the text? He hears about these two eunuchs who have strange names and they're plotting to assassinate King Xerxes. And so what does he do? He tells his daughter, Esther, and she tells the king. And it says uh, in verse 22 that Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai, giving credit to Mordecai. But one commentator named Christopher Ash says, Even though Esther told the king that it was Mordecai that found out this plan, he simply had it recorded in the history books, and there it gathers dust and will function like a ticking time bomb in the story. And something out of nowhere happens right after that. This guy named Haman immediately rises to the top. And grows up and is like the second most powerful person in the Persian kingdom and we are to see that as like a weed that grows in my yard that I can't seem to keep down all the time they just immediately sprout up and what you are to see as the reader is that Haman is not doing anything that he's supposed to do according to the image of God that he is and he gets promoted to the top and Mordecai is doing exactly what God calls him to do and he gets overlooked and unrecognized and as a reader, what you're supposed to do is, is watch how your heart interacts with that reality in the world. And so here's where we drill down and get, and get practical and you think about your field, right? Your dominion. I wonder if that's how you feel like in your life almost all the time. That people that don't do the right thing get advanced and you do the right thing and you get forgotten a lot. Others are self-focused and they're the ones that get promoted. And here's how you know if the gospel of God's kingdom is changing you in the midst of that. What does your heart do with that? When those who don't deserve to be rewarded, get rewarded. When those who don't deserve promotions get promotions and you get neglected. Does that make you angry? Does that make you feel slighted? Again, go back to your kingdom, go back to your sphere. I want you to imagine something very specific right now. I want you to imagine your own face in that kingdom. And I want you to picture yourself saying to yourself, look, you're under a lot of pressure. You have worked tirelessly for a long time. And for what? No one really cares about you. Like if you left and you didn't care and you didn't do all this stuff for all these people, would they even care? And you're telling yourself, if you want things to go the way that they're supposed to do, you better take matters into your own hands. So that all these bad people and all these bad situations don't just totally take over the place. And in that moment, you guys, what we don't realize, in a split moment, we forget God. We forget that He is actually the ruler and sovereign of our lives. We forgot His promises and justice. And what happens in that moment, though it's very tricky... We become sovereign, and instead of reflecting God, we, resur- we usurp Him. And we establish our own name instead of reflecting His name. And the gospel comes into our lives and says, actually, when those things happen, when you feel slighted, when you don't get the promotion, when, when you can't handle critique, when your enemies have it easy... If you know the gospel, you actually see those things as a gift. It's a gift because it reveals whose kingdom you're actually trusting in. It's a, it's a gift because it reveals whose name you're actually trying to promote. Guys, I'm serious. Like This is why when we work really, really hard and we don't see results, we can't handle it. This is why we cannot handle being overlooked and forgotten. This is why we, we, cannot, we just cannot handle it when somebody trashes our name or ruins our reputation. This is why we try to buddy up to people who are important in the eyes of the world, and we neglect those who aren't. This is why we refuse to take responsibility of our own emotions, and we got to blame it on somebody. we got to blame this anger or this anxiety on some, something else. It can't be within our, our own hearts, and, and y'all, this, this is the, the deal. The old man, the flesh, as the New Testament calls it, will seek at all costs to refuse to repent. We hate to repent in our flesh. That's why Jesus says when he brings the gospel of the kingdom, the very first word out of his mouth, the kingdom is at hand, repent. That's not just for a non-Christian. That's for a Christian. That King Jesus comes in and says, I am your king. I want you to reflect me. I want you to image me to those faces that you're seeing in your sphere. I want to, I want to be in your being. I, I want you to be like me to them, no matter who them are in your sphere. This is why I think Mordecai has been changed by the gospel. Because he can handle being overlooked. He did the right thing and didn't get any credit. (laughs) While while Haman, and we'll see over the coming weeks, he has immediately risen to the top. He can navigate conflict. And he can submit. This is a really important one. Haman submits to imperfect authority. I mean, Xerxes wasn't a great guy. And he protects his life. So how did, how did Mordecai continue to engage in an environment where he was powerless and unrecognized? It's through the humility of coming into, the con, coming into contact with the gospel of God's kingdom. And I have, we started off the service by quoting together Psalm 101. And it's about the, the wicked always sprouting up. Constantly in our lives, always there's always an infiltration of of evil. And each morning as you grow in Christ, what what you begin to see is that there are evil things that happen in the world constantly all the time. But what God wants you to do is to see that that evil resides here as well. And that there is a Haman inside all of us that seeks to to promote our own name, that seeks to elevate ourselves over God. And the beauty of King Jesus is that he says, I want to actually remove that part of you without like destroying you. But the promises and justice of God take a long time and, and he's always more involved than we initially want him to be. This is why the Apostle Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit when He comes into your life and He he sees a part of your heart and He says, I want want to go there, and you won't let Him. It's like, you know, you want to get new kitchen floors in your house. And in the process of ripping your floors out, you find mold in your kitchen. And you realize that the whole kitchen needs to be renovated. And you're like, man, I just wanted new floors, right? That's how the kingdom of God is in, in the heart of a human being. You're like, man, I just, I just wanted this relationship to get, to get fixed. And, and God comes and says, oh, I want to do much more than that. I want to make you into something that's eternally weighty, that will never fade, that's stronger than gold. I want your soul to look like mine. I want when you walk through the the city of of Lincoln, Nebraska, that people see Jesus Christ. Now, most of us are like, well, I don't don't think I can do that. That's too much for me. I don't don't buy that. I think every human being deep down knows that this is what I was made to do I was made to look like God, I was made to be a mirror of Him, but but this mirror got, got smashed. And everybody gets smashed and we can use those broken pieces and we can cut each other. Or we can use those broken pieces through Christ to bring ourselves back together and reflect the glory of God that we all are. You know, if you're if you're a student right now that you're called to love your teacher like that. If you're a teacher, you're called to love your students like that. Parent, children, same thing. He first changes our posture into one of humility and gentleness because we have an internal issue. And one of the things that the the book of James says is like don't don't when you look at the God, when you look at God's word and we often do this when we hear a sermon you look peer into God's word and you see the mirror that it is. You see yourself for who you really are, which is God's image. And then when you walk away you immediately forget what you're like. And he says part of how you do that is through speaking about other image bearers of God in a derogatory way, destroying them. This is why, partially why I think Harry Potter uh, talks about parcel tongue. You know, he knows the language of snakes. This is the language that we are all fluent in. We, we instinctively know how to destroy each other. But what Jesus has come to do is is he's come to say, how do you speak in such a way that builds each other up? We are all broken mirrors, and we can be used for great harm or great healing. And Mordecai functions as a small picture of Christ because he believes in God's promises and justice. And so this is why he was able to protect the king. This is why he was able to stand against Haman, as we'll see in the coming weeks. And this is why he's able to engage and encourage Esther to sacrifice her own life if necessary. And the reason why, and we'll end here, is because he was holy. Um, When you guys hear the word holy, I don't want you to think uh, piety or doing like, you know, Christian, like good things. What I want you to think when you hear the word holy is nearness to God. I've had multiple people throughout the years ask me, as uh, one of the pastors here, like, hey, what, what can I do for the church that would help? And my answer is always this, to be holy. And the reason why is because I want you to remember that God is with you wherever you go, and you reflect him wherever you go. And the best thing you can do for a Redeemer is to be his body in this world. And what you do will flow out of that belief, but you are holy. This is one of the things that I I want us to continually drill, drill down on, just how near God is to you at all times. If you have the gospel that God has incarnated himself into this world and into your heart, Jesus promises that all authority in this life and the next has been given to him. And he promises to never leave you. And he completes what he starts. And he promises to change you into someone who looks like him. That that's your destiny. And that's why there's all this language about being in Christ. That's what what a Christian is, being located in Christ. That we are hidden in him. He's our identity. He is our name. He is our reputation. He is our standing. And in the end, it's all about him. It's about his name. Hallowed be thy name. And so I think this is what Mordecai shows us, and uh, I wanted to, to start there heading into the next few weeks as we examine the character of Haman, um, because it's, it's challenging to, to consider that character. And so let's pray, and we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you for the spheres in which you've placed us in as we move throughout this day, um, that you would teach us what it means to reflect you that you would teach us what it means to have your demeanor in this world, the kindness and gentleness of your steadfast love, and that you are giving that to us by the Spirit. And so whether we're Christians or not, that we would hear that calling, that we would know that just by being alive, we are reflecting something that has the power for immense harm or immense healing. And so, Lord, make us into beings of healing. Through Jesus Christ. And do that work partially in confession and assurance and do it further at this table. In Christ's name, amen.